Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Um, this morning, I want to say welcome on a normal day uh, without the circumstances we're dealing with. Um, you'd be getting a big hug and a big, uh, we're glad you're here. So uh, just know that we're dying to greet you and say hi to you if this is your first, second time, and, and we, we don't know you personally. You normally have a big arm around your neck and being, being loved on. So um, we're really excited that you all joined us this morning. I'm going to do announcements real quick, and uh, so we can just go ahead and dive in. Uh, may have a long one this morning. If anybody needs something to fan themselves with, it's going to get a little hot, right? Body heat. Okay. Announcements. You guys probably noticed that we chose not to uh, register again simply because uh, this is about the average that we can count on, which keeps us at 50%, um, which is the guideline given by the governor. So uh, at this point, as long as we have 200, 210, really up to 250, uh, we're safe. And most of y'all weren't registering anyways, just to be honest. So no point in putting it up there, right? Uh, also, we do have childcare now from... I hope I don't mess this up, but five and under, is that right? Five and under, priest, or kindergarten and below. So if you didn't know that, next week when you come, uh, if you come back, uh, we pray you do, uh, you can take the little ones to child care, and there's people here that could show you where that's at. Um, if um, you're committed to Matthew's Table, you know that you can give uh, by texting Matthew's Table all together no apostrophes, commas, or separations, uh, to 73256. We've also lost our projector today, so we're not going to have any more lyrics or passages that I'm going to read to you like we normally would, um, just so you know. Um, Also, so some good announcements. What's up, Grayson? What's up, buddy? Ooh, do me like that in front of everybody. Some really good announcements, which will make more sense of the sermon that we're going to do this morning, is that we are in a bit of a um, situation in regards to you know what we're all dealing with in terms of this pandemic. And uh, if I've noticed anything, it's caused a lot of people to struggle and wrestle and face a lot of difficulties, and um, it's caused uh, some really good reasons to separate and again I'll talk more about that here in a minute but because of that uh, we choose to do something about it and uh, this coming Wednesday we're going to hold a midweek Wednesday service it'll be a recovery service biblically based so a lot of people in recovery right now are struggling and uh, a lot of I'm just going to say this and I hope you guys can extend me some grace because I'm not trying to be uh, divisive or argumentative. I'm just trying to be real. But if the liquor stores can stay open for, for what they claim to be a good reason so people don't withdraw and uh, have to be hospitalized, shouldn't we be able to meet for those who want to stay sober as well, right? So because of that and uh, I think just logically speaking makes sense. We're going to be doing that this coming Wednesday. We invite any of you. There's also Celebrate Recovery open back up on 
Thursday, and then uh, Jacob Wilcox and them do addiction on Friday, or addicted on Friday, so it's just going to create more space, more opportunities for us to connect, fellowship, wear a mask, spacesuit, whatever you got to wear to get you out of the house and start plugging back in, right? Okay. And then also some of the marriages, including my own, uh, just to be transparent, uh, you know, have um, experienced just the same amount of difficult uh, situations. My wife is working three times more than what she normally would just because of the nature of her job, and unfortunately I have been as well. Uh, so there's tension there. So, you know, we, we, uh, we decided to um, get some counseling and work on our marriage and be proactive. Um, so with that being said, on uh, the 27th of this month, which is a Monday night, we're going to have our first marriage ministry event right here at Buena Vista Baptist Church where Joe and Angel will lead us in uh, recovery, or I'm sorry, marriage, um, marriage topics, and uh, they'd love to tell you more about it. So get with them, but you can be here, I think it's 6 and uh, we're going to go. Ahead, we're going to do it once a month, so that we can always be proactive and work on our marriages and try to make them stronger. Because the enemy hates a marriage, right? All right. So that's all the announcement. Nobody really got excited, so that didn't go well. Tina, may I help you? Twenty seventh this month. Yeah, marriage. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to keep going. I don't want to. I want to keep going there. Um, I need it. I'm just going to be uh, real with you. I can be pretty difficult sometimes. So, the Wednesday will be six to seven as well. So, we invite you guys to come. Uh, hey, and let me say something else too that I don't ever really get to say about recovery is uh, everybody assumes that's from alcohol and drugs, and that's why we're doing a biblically based recovery service because the Bible says that we've all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. So we've all been affected by sin and sin, sinned against one another. So we're all in recovery from sin, which is what addiction is. So we want to get together and we want to talk about that. And we want to be transparent. And we want to ask the Lord to help us grow in that area, right? It's not alcohol uh, and drugs. There's pornography. There's workaholic. There's, you know, there's tons of those situations. So if you're a Christian and you believe you need help in battling sin, then Wednesday night would be for you, okay? That's it. All right, I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll get started. Father, we just give thanks for uh, how amazing you are to us in spite of how difficult uh, we can be. Lord, I personally have taken granted for your, gra your grace and your mercy, and I've failed to uh, remind myself of the things that you've done for me and instead complain be ungrateful. But this is a, a, a heavy thing today, so help me help others. And may your spirit speak through me and reveal what it is that we all need to better understand. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so just because of you know what we're all dealing with um, and what we've all been going through in the last few months as a result of uh, this virus. Um, it's been obvious to me, uh, speaking, uh, not speaking uh, for others, but just for myself, that I've, I've dealt with a lot of uh, difficulty in the last couple weeks with friends, families, and loved ones. So what we'll do over the next three or four weeks, 
We're going to start a new sermon series that will require each and every one of you to pay very close attention and participate as a whole body of believers united as if our lives depended on it. I'm going to start with a confession of a huge mistake that I've made personally. I failed many of you as one of the shepherd's overseers of Matthew's table simply by getting lazy and allowing my guard to be let down. I'm not sure where you're at personally right now in your walk, but the last two weeks for me have been probably the heaviest spiritual warfare I've yet to ever encounter in 10 years of ministry. I have no problem saying, I've looked Satan straight in the eyes through the amount of struggle taking place within our own people and the weight that I felt like I was carrying, weighing me down, and constantly being relentless. You guys know we like to keep it real here, and that's exactly what I plan to do. There's no way to paint any other picture right now than exactly what we're dealing with. Marriages, being strained and stressed for various reasons. Individuals I love dearly, relapsing. Turmoil among members over opinions on current events best friends and families fighting over petty reasons. The tension seems to be very high and the stress even higher. This pandemic has created an epidemic of struggle. None of us could have prepared for. This has certainly been uh, what I like to call the perfect storm for the church causing separation and disrupting everyone's routines and to be real honest with you for really good reason right like we're dealing with a uh, a virus that really nobody knows much about and uh, we can all argue um, what's best and all that stuff all I know is one death's too many and we've had some deaths so there's reasons to be careful and cautious but right now, it's created more collateral damage than what we would want. And to be honest with you, I have no clue how to navigate through this. And to say that we are doing our best is only an excuse to make me feel better. There is no manual for this <laughs> other than the Word of God, to which I should have known better. I accept full responsibility as one of your leaders for not recognizing sooner the ship would start to take on water with all the difficulties that we're all facing. You guys are familiar with the saying, the struggle is real, right? I, I want to I help flesh that out today. I want to explain that. I want to put everything in a very good perspective. Because for me, it's never been more true, but the struggle is real because the struggle is the deal. 
As Christians, we have an adversary, an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy and wages war against us daily. And to be frank with you, that's his job and he's really good at it. He's won a few battles recently, but that ends today because I refuse to repeat an obvious oversight by me and I am declaring war. Failure to anticipate attacks from an enemy can only occur when we, you and I, assume that we are at peace with the opposing side. And our passage reminds us this morning we are most definitely at war and teaches us how we can fight back. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Uh, we're not going to have it on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, I'll deal with more of that next week, right? That implies that he's already informed us of something that we need to be aware of. I'll talk more about that next week. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. I love how gracious and merciful God is to me to be so kind that in my oversight, my failure as an overseer to remember the enemy and his schemes, God puts this passage in front of me to prepare me for what was to come two weeks ago. This is, if many of you don't know, this is my uh, discipleship group Bible. And two weeks ago, this passage was one of my assigned daily readings. And the lessons from this jumped off the page before the attacks even hit. The Lord will provide. And we're going to go backwards a little bit on this, like I mentioned just a second ago, just because he starts out with finally. Because it's necessary that we pull the curtain back and be reminded of our reality. As a Christian, we are at war. Daily. Daily. Then I want to put a name on our enemy, which I'll make sense of in a minute. And then I want to explain to you how we fight. 
And I plan to do that in that exact order I mentioned, so let's get started. First lesson, every Christian's reality is this is not our home. This is not our home. Amen? We are living in a foreign land, enemy territory, waiting to move on to the new heaven and the new earth. The struggle is real because the struggle is the deal. Those of us who've genuinely been converted, born again, and we're living our lives, following Jesus, striving to do the best that we can. The old, the old us, the old you is dead and gone, and the new you has been raised to walk in newness of life. What Jesus calls not of this world. John 18, verse, I'm going to use a lot of Bible today, guys. I love the Word of God. I stand on the Word of God. I believe the Word of God from page to page, cover to cover. So this is really important. So be ready for me to just throw all this at you. You need to be paying attention, right? John 18, verse 33, Jesus answers the Pharisees, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, just if, in case you forgot, he, being Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. If you've trusted in Christ today, You've been transferred into a kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you've been adopted into God's family. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You are no longer from this world. You've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God and adopted into the family of God. <laughs> which means the struggle would be real because the struggle is the say it one more time the struggle is the it's the deal man you're living in a foreign land among hostile enemies you can't expect this don't get me started but this whole your best life now jazz it's a lie it's a lie Sit in our home. The Bible says that we're aliens, that we're strangers in a fallen world. And we know that because the Bible calls us citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. As citizens of heaven, that's what we are. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. A military example which might paint a better picture would be American soldiers that are still over in the Middle East after that war has been 
been won, right? And they're there to provide support for allies operating in a hostile environment. Their only safe place is what they call the U.S. Embassy, just like the Believer's Sanctuary. Which is why Paul makes it clear we're to draw strength from the Lord because we're in a fight we can't win by ourselves. He says, finally, draw strength from the Lord. This ain't something that you can do on your own. Unfortunately, due to the pandemic, some of us have been forced to try to deal with this on our own, right? Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. What we face is a spiritual fight, not one against flesh and blood, but against darkness. How many of you think of your day that way frequently? How many of you wake up every day and remind yourself, well, let's get it on because I'm at war again? Right? Do you think about yourself in that way? Because if you don't, that's probably why you're taking some serious licks. Listen, many of us, and, and some of these illustrations, I couldn't really flesh them out real well, and y'all are going to be like, but it's true nonetheless. Many of us spend a lot of time and energy and effort, including me, by the way. Like, I got to try to figure out how to get my wife out of the house if we have time together because she comes up with all these things that we should be doing at our house. I don't want to do them. But many of us spend a lot of time and energy and effort focusing on the home that we have here on earth. Dressing it up and putting fluff and trinkets and trying to make it as pretty as we can and cleaning it up and taking loans out to fix it up. And I think about that and I think about how the enemy just must sit there and, and laugh. Because for a Christian, it's like being caught in a stranger's home painting the walls when they return from vacation. It's not your home. That's not your home. This is not our home. Where I come from, they call it a felony. What the Bible would call a folly. Foolishness. Paul also says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, because we didn't bring nothing into this world and can't take nothing out of this world. John chapter 15, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Struggle is real because the struggle is the deal. Bible also taught, uh, you know, even David in Psalms uh, chapter 23, even though I walk through the valley of death, oh, fear no evil. Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but transformed, right? James says, keep oneself unstained from this world. All suggesting that our struggles won't be based, I need some of y'all to hear this, it won't be based on our seasons, although we will have seasons where we are really close to the Lord and then we feel really distant 
from the Lord. Our struggles won't be based on those because the struggle is directly affiliated with our citizenship. It's because who we are, living in a foreign land against a hostile enemy. And one way for that to be affected is to question or deny your citizenship, which, by the way, is not a result of your doings, but God through Jesus Christ on the cross. So many times, just counseling with um, believers, I hear, I hear I don't have a desire, Roger. I don't know what's going on with me, but it's like I've lost my desire to do things that I once had when I was on fire. As if a desire is what causes you to obey. Listen, feelings and emotions are your spiritual gauge, not your spiritual guide. Feelings and emotions are your spiritual guide. Gauge, not your spiritual God. They should be signals, red flags, alarms going off to press in, not push away. Why? God desires mercy, not judgment. God is a forgiving and merciful and loving God. Amen? Jesus, check us out, because this is really, like, why, how can I say that and have full confidence? Jesus didn't desire to pay for your sins. He stopped in the garden and prayed. And he said, Lord, take this cup from me, if it be your will. God said, hush your mouth and get up on the cross. And he obeyed. That tells me, when I'm wrestling with that, Desire or lack of desire, I obey anyways. Right? If you're waiting for the desire to love God and others the way you should, you're waiting for something that may never come again. And that's the truth. However, the more you pursue God, the more He draws near to you, which refuels your fire that you want back so bad. To push away from him gets you further into the enemy's territory and creates less desire, making it harder for you to get back where you once were. Think about Paul real quick. He had one personal revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And there's another instance where there's an angel of the Lord that, that appears and, and talks to him. Right? But after that, it was all pain, suffering, persecution for the glory of God. To the point he says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, in order that I might gain Christ. And he goes on in Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. He don't say that because that's necessarily the right thing to say. He knows that because he knows that we'll eventually get distracted and start desiring something other than what we should be desiring. 
So it's a command to get us back on track and remember what it was that got us to where we want to be again. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Because you don't belong in this world, you're a foreigner in this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. And the day you said yes to Jesus started your eternity. Second lesson that we learned from this. That's, that's big, though, for real. Like, if you guys, I'm telling you, like, it's done something with me. Like, I, you know, I'm expecting it now. I ain't getting sucker punched. I did a couple weeks. I, I ain't now, though. It's like, man, is all you got, bro? Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, come on. I mean, I, I can almost predict sometimes what to expect, just to be real. The, the enemy, he, he I'm going to talk more about it in a minute. But here's the deal. He can only do what God allows him to do. You want to know where he's going to come after you? What's the most important thing to you? Because that's where he's coming. My marriage and my children. And he's done a good job. But he didn't win. Second lesson, verse 11. So that you can stand against the schemes of who? Put a name on it. The devil. You guys might say, okay, good. Roger. The enemy is Satan, which translates to adversary, an opponent who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And every amen puts you in the crosshairs to be picked off by a very crafty and cunning adversary. Yeah? And I say put a name on it because Bob is not your enemy. Fill in the blank. Your coworker, your wife, your best friend, whoever it may be, they are not your enemy according to this passage. You do not struggle against flesh and blood, but, by, but from the devil himself. And a lot of times I fail in thinking, I can't believe she said that about me. I thought she was my friend. Other names that he goes by, just to, uh, to make a, a very good illustration and to add emphasis, is father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning, and he's a liar today. Right? He was a murderer. He's an accuser. He's a tempter. He's a destroyer. He's the serpent. He's the Beelzebub. He is considered the god of this world that might... Make some of you think, whoa, I didn't know that. Little G, little G, God of this world. Right? The prince of the power of the air, the evil one, and also the devil. Devil only used in the New Testament. And I say all that to say, I'm not sure we talk about him enough. Which allows him to sneak in and, and cause damage. Like, I honestly, I just don't think about that enough. I, now, note, side note, I will not give him credit where he doesn't deserve it, okay? Some of y'all know not to do certain things because you've been walking with the Lord long enough to know not to do it, but you choose to do it, okay? That's different. That's you, right? So we ain't going to give him that credit, but we will give him credit where credit is due. He was in the garden with Adam and Eve. 
He's the originator of sin, the author of sin. He was in the garden when Judas betrayed Jesus. See how he was in two gardens? The garden of death and the garden of life. He ruined the life of a pious man named Job. Y'all know that story? He was tempted, Jesus himself was tempted by the enemy in the wilderness. Paul talks about him. Peter talks about him. Jude mentions him. Jude, Jude gets a shot to put a book in the Bible. He writes one chapter and talks about the enemy. James mentions him. The beloved apostle, disciple John talks about him. How often do you talk about him? A soldier in a hostile land would always be on alert for an imminent threat. And Satan, I assure you, is that and a whole lot more. Why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. When I say you should think about that daily because of your citizenship, you should anticipate war because you have an enemy. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I know Peter could say that in good conscience and faith because Peter knew firsthand, if you go to sleep on the enemy, which I have confessed that I have done, you might end up sleeping with the enemy. I just spit, and I don't know why. So if you saw that, disregard that. Peter says it because if you go to sleep on the enemy, you could end up sleeping with the enemy. Well, back that up scripturally, Roger. I have a hard time with that. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. They're in the garden, and Jesus tells them, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What happened? They fell asleep. Not once, not twice, but three times. What happened? The enemy sneaks into the garden. Judas betrays him, and he gets put on the cross. I've heard it said before, if you're not running into Satan head on, it's probably because you're following him. Man, when I heard that one time, like, it was like, oh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it was a, That was a punch to the gut I wasn't expecting because... Uh, this idea that I shouldn't be meeting resistance in my life daily comes from Satan, really. And if you're not meeting him head on, it's probably because you're following him. Constant resistance should be the expectation because his schemes and his strategies, which next week I'm going to deal with his schemes. I'm going I'm to expose all that. I'm going to show you how he works, Right? But his schemes and strategies are only intended for the Christian. Because you aren't on his team, right? So there's a reason. He only attacks the Christians. When I was not a Christian, I was working for him, not against him, right? Y'all understand why teams wear different colors? I played in a softball tournament, right? One time we went out of town, we show up. One, another, the other team had the exact same color jersey we did. You talk about, like, you, you know, heat of the moment. Ball comes at me, of course, I just whip it up real quick. And I'm ready to throw it. I don't even know who to throw it to because everybody looks like they're the same. There's a reason. 
I hope each of you know this isn't intended to cause fear. This isn't fear-mongering. We're dealing with enough of that within our culture right now. But rather it's a shepherd drawing attention to the wolf among his sheep. Other equally important things to consider, just so you understand the enemy a little better, is he is a defeated enemy who's in submission to a sovereign God. He's limited in his power. He's not like God. He's a little G, not a big G. Take Job for an, for an example. Right? In Job, the enemy has to go to God to ask permission to attack Job. Right? And then you had Peter where Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. He petitioned Jesus for Peter. That he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Notice he didn't say that you would never fail. It's important. He prayed that your faith may not fail. And when, not if, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Right? Man, that that stuff's important, right? Just, Just a few words right there. Is really important because Satan is not all powerful, he's not all knowing, and he's not all present at all times. He's limited in what he can and can't do by the Almighty God to which we belong to. And a defeated enemy is usually a ticked off enemy. And why Satan doesn't let up in a pandemic, he presses in, he, he works overtime. Right? And the more we retreat, the more we defeat, we will suffer. The more we retreat, the more defeat we will suffer. Consider two of my favorite preacher's quotes. Charles Spurgeon says, If you're idle in Christ's work, you are active in the devil's work. It doesn't say you're doing the devil's work, it says you're active in it because he's now attacking you, and the work of the devil is against you. And the same thing Brandy said earlier that Nick Martin taught us. Casual Christians causes Christian casualties. It's big. Roger, you don't understand, man. Work's stressful. My wife's acting up. Things are tough right now. I just need to pull back a little bit from all this whole church jazz. You know what I mean? I ain't got time to meet with you guys two and three times a week. Cut me some slack. Give me a break. You get broken, all right. And so because we know our reality, we're a citizen of heaven, and we're at war, and who our enemy is, it's not your coworker, it's not your kids, it's not your wife, it's Satan himself. We do what Paul says. Lesson number three. We put on the whole armor of God, and we make war. Verse 13. For this reason... Take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. This one smacked me in the face. Not because I wasn't familiar with this passage, but because it's where I often fail. Fires die down and I just hit the cruise button. I get a little comfortable, right? I like complacency because then I don't have, it, it, it's not stretching me. 
I just hit the cruise button, man. I just, like, gangster's paradise. That's where I go. We're just right there. I, and, and I think the reason is because I'm typically strong in one of these areas and oftentimes unintentionally settle for just that. What do you mean? My prayer, my prayer game might be strong, but my word time could be slacking. Or, or maybe my word time's good, or at least I'm still meeting with other Christians. So my fellowship's good, but I haven't really read the Bible this week. Or I haven't really been praying like I know I should be praying, and vice versa. And what I know is that without the whole armor of God, we are easy prey. And that's what he's talking about, right? You know, all I do is study the Word of God, but I don't really ever pray or fellowship or do any of these other things. Well, the, the Bible would say you're to put on the whole armor of God or you're easy prey. You'll be defeated because the, next, because the text clearly states that's how we withstand the enemy. And so with this armor that God provides through Christ, this armor mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6 is a result of what God did with Christ on the cross. Christ is our armor. Okay? We have to choose to take up the full armor. And it is a choice. And to put it all on or attempt to rely on some of it. And if we understood it better, maybe we would be quicker to do so. I want to read you in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. You want to know how we fight? We pick up. The, war, the, 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 uh, the armor that God has provided. And, and I, I'm going to run you through them real quick. I know it's hot. I'm sweating. Listen. Let, let's talk about them real quick. So the ones that are listen, listed in verses, I think, 12 through 18 uh, look like this and, and typically in order. The belt of truth. Let's talk about that, right? I don't know about some of you guys, but in the past, when the, the enemy distracted me, and kind of pointed me in a different direction, and I didn't recognize it. It was like getting caught without a belt and your pants fell down. Because all of a sudden, I'm believing a lie. So you got to take the belt of truth. Who's the tr what's the truth? Jesus Christ says, I am the truth. The truth is an individual. It's not an opinion. It's not a concept. It's not an idea. It's not a worldview. It's an individual. And his name is Jesus Christ. So you better wake up every day. You better recognize, man, I am at war because I am a citizen of heaven living in a foreign land and I better go straight to the truth and put him on. You can say britches fell down, church, okay. Then you have the breastplate of righteousness, which protects you, uh, protects your vital organs, one being your heart. And our reliance on God and his provision through Christ makes us right with God. So this breastplate of righteousness is walking and moving forward against an enemy who's coming against you, not relying on, 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 on your good works, but his good works, the righteousness that was transferred to us by way of Jesus Christ. Helmet of salvation. Listen, this is big. Helmet of salvation. You, you guys can picture that, right? You take a helmet and you put it on. And what's the helmet uh, uh, intended to protect? It's intended to protect 
your mind as a believer. That's why it's called the helmet of salvation. It reminds you of your identity, that you are in Christ Jesus, you're a child of God, and you can overcome the enemy who's already been defeated. Helmet of salvation. Shoes ready, sandals, boots, whatever you want to call them. The Bible says sandals. That's what they had at the time. But it, it's the gospel. It's the readiness to share the gospel of peace. What, that, that's just uh, recognizing that, that, that these sandals, these boots protect my feet from me moving forward and sharing the gospel of peace which comes through Christ, the Prince of Peace, in a very chaotic world. Let me tell you about Jesus, bro. I've been there before. Shield of faith. They say the shield that they used to use back then was four foot by six foot tall. It's like a front door. You know what I mean? Like you're just walking. You're going towards him because the enemy's shooting fiery darts of fear, worry, doubt, and anxiety. That's what's happening. You better put on the shield of faith, trusting that what God said in the Bible is true. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. That you are a child of a living God. And you are a citizen in heaven adopted by God the Father. And notice all these are defensive in nature. The other two are offensive. So let's, let's, go on. let's talk about what's offensive. Uh, Note, no. it is written, is our greatest weapon. Jesus himself's in the desert. The enemy comes at him. And he, and he tempts him with scripture, trying to create doubt. What's Jesus say? How's he respond? It is written. Like, it's like, bro, come on, really? Look, I am the word of God. And he, and he quotes back to him the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which the Bible says in this passage, which is the word of God, to which the believer is meant to feed on, because Jesus also says, man can't live on bread alone, but by the word of God. Right? Are you reading the Word? Do you read the Word every day? Do you resort to the Word before trying to manipulate, manage, and fix a situation? What's your counsel to a friend that's struggling? Is it your wisdom, experience, strength, and hope? Or is it the Word of God? Because the believer needs the Word of God. Because here's what's happened. Life in a foreign land where we're under attack, we're at war, we've declared that, we take on hits sometimes, being sustainable hits, minor in nature, but other times they hit hard. And we put our sword down and we begin to starve ourselves, becoming malnutrition, incapable to, incapable to fight, then we spiritually retreat, withdrawing from the battle, which practically speaking makes sense. When we notice the full armor of God does not include anything that protects the back of a human being. Because you aren't supposed to be running from an enemy that's already been defeated. But withstanding his ongoing attacks head on because they can't destroy you. Now, you may need to fall back in rank at times. I agree. There may be times where you need to fall back a little bit. Like, 
Uh, and the reason is, as everybody knows, at war, officers have bigger targets on them, right? We want to take the general out. So there may be time that you need to step uh, back, but never away. You never step away. You can't go to war without your sword. And you can't go to war without an adequate weapon. Rather, you can't replace this with something else. Well, I got another really good devotional book. I like to read it. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, I think they have verses in there. I'm not real sure, but man, that guy's good. No, you can't do that. That's not the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Got to have the right weapon. Hey, and, and I've been waiting to do this all week because I've noticed, I know it's, listen, some of us put Snapchat filters on the Word of God. That's what we do. We want to clean it up. We want to make it feel a little bit better. So we like to read it the way we want to read it and apply it the way we want to apply it. And the problem with that is theology matters. An accurate understanding of God's word is necessary because when the battle rages, if you have faulty armor on, it's easy to penetrate. Example is the American prosperity gospel, right? How do you make sense of that right now? How do, how do you make someone feel better about that right now? If you love Jesus, you'll get rich. If you love Jesus, put your money right here. And if you do that, God gives you ten times more. Maybe, maybe true, but I ain't going to tell you that it's absolute true. I'm not going to promise you that. How do you explain... A virus, a pandemic, a failing economy, global riots, racial indifference. How do you explain all those things if all God wants for each of us is our best life now? You can't do that. It's not true. The final offensive weapon is prayer. Since you are tempted, I saw this meme this week, somebody may have shared it. Since you are tempted without ceasing, pray without ceasing. We can have confidence through our privileged access, direct access to the throne room of the living God to petition and make requests for one another. Are you intentionally praying often? What does your prayer life look like? Is it your go-to? Because prayer changes things. Guys, we the church have to fight back. Not one person has said that we can't continue to meet. We just have to follow some guidelines, right? We just got to be safe. And to disconnect yourself from Christian fellowship is to isolate yourself in enemy territory. Music team can start making their way up. If you isolate yourself from the one another's, pray for one another, forgive one another, love one another, serve one another. If you, if you pull away from those things, you are missing something supernatural that takes place only in the body of believers. So although we may need to ramp up being cautious and careful, we should never start fellowshipping. Never. Wear a mask. I don't care if it's a Darth Vader mask, put on 
a hazmat suit, for all I care, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Take a stand, stand firm, withstand the devil is what the Bible tells us. So who's ready to pick a fight with a spiritual punk that's been bullying some of our brothers and sisters? Who's ready to storm the gates of hell with me and take back what the enemy has recently stolen? You might say, well, how do we do that, man? I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. I, I told you earlier, I don't have no manual. I got weapons, though. I can fight with. We pray. We read. We fellowship. We trust Jesus Christ. We come to service on Wednesday night. You get back in your small churches. You start your D groups back up that you've quit. You never stop fighting because you're at war every day. And I'll just end with the good news. You always want the good news that all the struggle is real because it is the deal. It's also temporary. It's temporary. We have a greater Savior who provides us protection and provision to overcome all of our struggles. Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Disarmed them. The enemy ain't even got a weapon. He took it away. We got the weapons. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. They've been destroyed. If you don't know Christ this morning, you may say, what's the benefit to being a Christian? The hope that we have to escape this evil, corrupt, and broken world and move on to a heavenly home and to live in a place where there's no more tears, there's no more sin, there's no more racism, there's no more viruses, there's no cancer, there's no nothing. Why would you choose this world over that one? If you want to know Jesus this morning, you can get with one of the leaders and talk to us. We love y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.